Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 as we continue our study of the Gospel of Luke. Of course, Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. We see him as the Savior, the sacrifice, and the substitute for the sins of the world. We're seeing the ministry of Jesus Christ, and of course, we're in the early years. Jesus' ministry is about three, three and a half years long. He's now in the northern part of Israel. He's around the Sea of Galilee. And as we continue seeing, Jesus is teaching the Word of God with authority. He's doing His miracles so that the people can see that He indeed is the Messiah, the Savior, and the King. He has healed the sick. He has commanded the demons. He has controlled nature. And we've even seen that He has showed His authority to forgive sins. Well, this morning, we're going to see two key aspects. Two things this morning. We're going to see Jesus and the Sabbath. We're going to see that He shows that He is Lord of the Sabbath. We'll see how that fits together because the religious leaders confront Him about the Sabbath day in the Sabbath and what he's doing. And then we're going to see the choosing of the apostles. We're going to choose 12 men. We're just going to get into that this morning. We're just going to read the list, talk just a little bit about them, and then next week we'll get into a lot more detail. So we see so much. Jesus is showing that he's God. He's preparing others for ministry. We'll see some great things as we study our passage this morning. Well, when I was younger and about the age of 12 which is a lot younger than I am now. I used to love to play football with my friends, and we had this elementary school that was right up from my house, and we'd go play, and we'd play a lot of the days. Sometimes we'd want to meet on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, and, and go. My mother would say to me, you, pro- you shouldn't go. And I'd say, why? And she'd say, because um, you're not supposed to do things on Sunday. And I said, well, what do you mean, why? And she said, because, like, that's the Sabbath. I want you to understand, we didn't go to church. I went to church two times before I trusted Christ when I was 19. But my, my mother's background was she was taught growing up that Sunday was, was a Sabbath day. It was a rest day, and, and that she, you were supposed to rest on Sunday. Maybe you know this, and maybe you realize that Sunday is not the Sabbath, that Saturday is the Sabbath day. Under the Mosaic Law, the nation of Israel worked six days and rested on the seventh. The first day of the week is Sunday, and the last day of the week is Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath, and we're not under Mosaic Law. Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. He rose again on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. That is why the church, the body of Christ, while we worship and meet together on the first day of the week. This day is not the Sabbath. It is called the Lord's Day. There are some people who would like to say, they'd say, well, we'd like to call this the Christian Sabbath. But that's not what you find in the Scripture. So here's some questions as we begin our passage. Are we under Sabbath law? As we study this morning, we're going to deal with the issue of the Sabbath. We'll see how Jesus and his ministry, what he does, how the religious leaders attack him, and we're going to see about the Sabbath and the Mosaic Law. So there's, there's some great things in there as we study it. Well, let's begin this morning, two things. Jesus and the Sabbath, basically, and then Jesus choosing his 12 apostles. And we'll see that. We'll just look briefly at them. As we begin, realize the opposition is beginning to mount against Jesus. The religious leaders do not like him. Remember, he has come and he teaches with authority. He is claiming to be God. He has said he is the Messiah and the Savior. He calls himself the Son of David, which is a name for God. He calls himself the Son of Man, which is another name for God. When he teaches, the people are amazed. They, they, go, they, they say, he teaches with authority. And then when he does these miracles, they see his power, his power over sickness and nature and demons, even sin. They know something, that if Jesus is right... The religious leaders know they're wrong, and they don't want to be wrong, so they don't like him. And as, as we've seen already, we've seen a little bit of confrontation beginning this morning, and really the whole rest of the gospel is going to get worse and worse and worse. Last time they challenged his lifestyle and the people that he's with. They said, you're with the wrong people, and you're doing the wrong things. Jesus said, no, no, I'm with the right people. I've come to call sinners, not righteous. And then he said, and I'm doing the right thing, because while I'm here, it's a time of joy. 
After I'm gone, it'll be a time of sadness. Well, this morning, as we continue, we're going to see conflict. And it's over the issue of the Sabbath. Now, as we begin, let's think about the Sabbath for just a second. The word Sabbath means rest. That's all it means. It doesn't mean Saturday. The first day of the week was Sunday. The last day of the week is Saturday. The Jewish people to work six days and rest on the seventh. So the Saturday of a week was always a Sabbath day. But in the Jewish calendar, there were some weeks that had three Sabbaths in them. So the word Sabbath really just means rest. And as we see, I think the next slide, for under the Mosaic law, they were to work six days and rest on the seventh. The seventh day, the rest day, was the day for man. As the years went by, the Jewish religious leaders changed the day. See, it was originally set up that people, because it was hard work, they would work Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then really Friday evening at about 6, it became the next day, basically, and it became the Sabbath day, and they rested. And it was supposed to be a day that they would rest and enjoy and worship and, and all of these things. But the religious leaders added rules. As the time went by, they kept saying, here's things you can't do. Here's all this. And they began to add rules. And it became a day of bondage. It became a day of legalism. It wasn't rest anymore. It was a burden instead of rest. I've taught you all in the past about... I mean, they had rules that said if you got mud on your clothes, you could only hit it three times on the Sabbath day. If a woman couldn't look in the mirror on the Sabbath day because she might want to fix her face and that would be working. They had all of these laws, nothing that was in the scripture, just laws that they had added. And there is a principle in the Bible of a Sabbath rest, the idea that we're to work and to rest. And if a person works seven days a week, they're going to wear out. The plan is that you have some time to rest. We're not under the Mosaic Law. We're not under the Sabbath day. We worship not on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, but we worship on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, first day of the week, because Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. Now, as we look at these events this morning, religious leaders are going to confront him two different times, basically, about the Sabbath, and we'll see how it ties together. Here's the deal. Jesus didn't follow their rules. They had all kind of rules, and he didn't follow them, and they didn't like it. We're going to see that he teaches them that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, and we'll talk about what that means. It's pretty powerful. He's saying that he's God. Well, let's see what happens. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Now, it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath, and his disciples were picking the heads of the grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. Now, Luke is going to just give us an event. He says, now, it happened. This is what happened. One day they were going through some grain fields on the Sabbath. Luke makes it clear that this is a Sabbath day. They work six days, rest on the seventh, and they're walking through some fields. And his disciples are with him. And look what they're doing. They're picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating them. They're going through a grain field, and they get some of the top, and they pull it off, and they rub it, and then they're eating it. You and I might say, what do they think they're doing? That's not their field. They're going through the field eating somebody's food. Well, was that wrong? When these people say you're doing something, the Pharisees say, what are you, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath day? Is that what they were doing wrong? The answer is no. Let me start by saying that he's got his disciples with him. These were the people who had believed in him and they were following him and they were seeking to be with him. And it says they were picking and rubbing. Was this okay? The answer is yes. I want you to understand, under the Mosaic Law, You could go into somebody's field, you could go into their vineyard, you could go into their fruit trees, and you could go up there and say, I think I'm going to get me some grapes. And you could eat them. You couldn't take a bucket in there and put the grapes in there. You couldn't go in there and collect a whole bunch of apples or fruit, but you could get fruit. You could go through. God had a provision that said, when you go through somebody's field or somebody's vineyard, if you want grapes or if you want, you can eat them. 
you just can't collect them because they belong to them. You can just eat whatever you want to eat. That was his provision. He even had a provision that at harvest time, the people who had the fields were not to harvest the corners of their field so that the poor people could come in and they got the food that were left in the corners. Also, he had a provision that as people harvested, as they were harvesting, if they dropped something, they had to leave it. Just keep on going because poor people are followed behind and when people dropped it, they got it. That's his provision. So it was not wrong for them to go through the field and eat the grain. Not wrong at all. So they're doing fine. It says they're passing through the grain field on the Sabbath. The disciples are picking the heads of the grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. But what the religious leaders are seeing, they're thinking they're working on the Sabbath because they're plucking and doing this. And that's their rules. That's not the Bible rules. That was their rules. So look what they say to Jesus. Verse 2. But some of the Pharisees said, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? What they're saying is, why are you breaking the law? Well, first of all, they're not breaking God's law. Now, they might be breaking the Pharisees' laws and rules, but not God's. They were saying that the disciples were harvesting on the Sabbath day. That was their tradition, not the law. That was their legalism. How does Jesus answer that? He does two things. I want you to listen carefully. Number one, he says that there are times that the needs of people go beyond the rules of men. There are times that the needs of people go beyond the rules of men. You've heard people say, well, well, I'm sorry, we can't do that because we always do it this way. There are times when sometimes the needs of a person goes beyond some rules that you may have. There's a second thing he's going to do. Besides saying that, he's going to say that he is Lord of the Sabbath, which means he's God and he controls the Sabbath day. So look what he does. And Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? Now Jesus sort of gets on them because he actually says, Don't don't you guys know the Bible? Haven't you all read the Bible? Haven't you even read what happened to David when he was hungry? And he had those with him. Now, you remember the story? It goes back into Samuel when David was running from Saul. Saul was the king. David was supposed to be the king. Saul was trying to kill David. David was running for his life. He got a few men with him, and they were leaving. And as they got going, they had no food. They stopped at the tabernacle, which was the tent meeting, had the Ark of the Covenant, had all of this, and the priest was there. So David comes up and says, hey, we're uh, we're on a mission, and we don't have any food. You got any food? And the priest went, Well, you know, uh, we don't have any food. In fact, the only food we got is the bread that's in the holy place. See, in the holy place there was a table called the table of showbread, and there were 12 loaves of bread on top of that table, and they were to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And every week, a priest would make 12 new loaves. He would go in, put the 12 new loaves in there, take the 12 old loaves off, and the 12 old loaves, loaves the priest would eat. And it was only supposed to be the priest eat those 12 loaves. But the priest looked at David and said, you guys are, yeah, you're running. Yeah, we're, we're on a mission. Yeah. Well, the only food we got here is the bread. I'll give you the bread. Because what the priest was saying is, the needs of people go beyond the what? The rules. And so Jesus said, haven't you read? Haven't you even read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. And look what he goes on to say. How they entered the tabernacle, the house of God, which was the tabernacle, and took and ate the consecrated bread, that's called the table of showbread, which is not lawful 
for any to eat except the priest alone and gave it to his companions. Now Jesus said, listen, there are times when the needs of people go beyond the rules. And he's telling these Pharisees that. Now they got all the rules and they don't break their rules. Of course they do, but they, they, they say they don't. And they've got all these little rules that they're going to keep. And when Jesus said, wait a minute, wait a minute, didn't you all read what David did? Remember how he went to the tabernacle and how he got the showbread and it was only for the priest, but they ate it because they needed it and the needs of people go beyond the rules. And that's true in our lives. We make up rules, we come up with things. And we're not talking about the Scripture where you disobey the Scripture. We're talking about the rules and maybe the way you say, well, we've always done it this way. Or no, we don't do that. We don't. It may be that the needs of people are more important than the little rules. And that's what Jesus is saying here. But then he's going to do something else. He's going to add to it. Remember the second thing that he said, he's Lord of the Sabbath. Look at verse 5. And he was saying to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now what he's saying there is he's God and he's in control. Now I want you to see something first of all. It says he was saying to them. The way it's written in the original Greek, it's not, he didn't say it one time. He didn't say, by the way, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. He didn't say that. He said it over and over. It's ongoing statement. He was making sure they understood that he said, I am God. I oversee the Sabbath. I do what I want to do. If these men want to eat and I want them to eat, they're going to eat. Now, there's several things here I want you to see. He was saying to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. There's two things there. First of all, when he says the Son of Man, the Son of Man is the title of the Messiah and the Savior. That's found in Daniel chapter 7. He is saying that he's the Savior and that he's God. In fact, he's saying he's the King. These men knew Daniel chapter 7. When Jesus said the Son of Man, they knew exactly what he was meaning. He was saying, I'm the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7. I'm the Messiah and the King. And so he says to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. There's a second thing that he says. When he says Lord of the Sabbath, the word Lord, Kyrios, means the Master. It means he's deity. He's saying, I'm the God of the Sabbath. I established the Sabbath. I'm God over it. I work all things according to the counsel of my will. That's what he's saying. And so I want you to understand, he's making them really mad. Because he's claiming to be God. There's something that they had forgotten. They had forgotten with all their man-made rules was that this day, the Sabbath day, was made for people, not people for this day. See, this was supposed to be a day of rest and a day of worship and a good day for the Jewish people. But it had become a legalistic day of bondage. They, they hated the day because they couldn't do anything anymore. It became a day of burden. One of the other Gospels quotes and says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This day was for them. And Jesus says, You've turned it into a bad day instead of a good day. Jesus is declaring that He's God, that He's in control, that He's the Lord of the Sabbath, that He works all things. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says that He is showing His authority over all matters of the law. So what's happened? He says the needs of people go beyond the rules and that he's God now it doesn't tell us how they responded here because he goes Luke goes on and tells us about another Sabbath day and what happened but I want you to understand they were probably very angry you can see them after he left they go and oh, why can't we think about that verse 
He talked about David. We should have known that. We should have remembered that. He thinks he's God. That's who he thinks he is. That's what they were thinking. And he is God. And that's exactly what he was telling them. Well, look what happens. They want to confront him again. Notice verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. It says on another Sabbath, so Luke says, look, I just want you to see, same thing happened uh, probably a week later. Look what happens. It says on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, you remember the synagogue, the, the Greek word synagogue means to gather together. It was the place that they would meet. They met on the Sabbath day. They worked six days, rested on the seventh. On the seventh day, they would come together Saturday, and they would meet together. And they would usually have someone teach. Look what happens. On this Sabbath, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. I have reminded you over and over through the gospel that Jesus teaches the Scripture. A lot of times people say, well, when Jesus was on the earth, he just told a bunch of stories and things. No, he did not. He did tell some stories. He did tell some parables. They were used to teach. But you see over and over, and we've seen this all the way through the gospel, he teaches the word of God. That's his strength. That's the key. It says there that he was teaching, and there was this man there whose right hand was withered. The word withered means to be dried or shriveled. Now, maybe his hand, something had messed up, or maybe he was deformed in some way, but there's something wrong with his right hand. Now, the other Gospels just tell us his hand, but Luke, who was the doctor, made sure we knew exactly which hand it was. It was his right hand. And he says that he had this withered hand. Now, here's the question that I want you to think about. Is it lawful to heal somebody on the Sabbath day? That's the question they're going to raise. Is, it, can a, is this a work? Can a man do a good on a Sabbath day? See, the religious leaders later are going to tell him there are six other days that he could do his healings on. He should do them then and not on the Sabbath. Because they would say, Sabbath day, you shouldn't do that. What does Jesus do? Here's a question that Jesus saw this man with a shriveled right hand. Some people have even raised this. Look what the next verse says. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. Now, the religious leaders, they're watching him closely. That word, watch closely, means they're looking at everything he's doing. They're trying to figure out what he's going to do. It goes on to say they were going to see if he healed in his first class, if in the Greek, which means if in his true, he would heal on the Sabbath. They knew he would. They've seen him over and over again. They've watched him heal people. They've watched him forgive sins. They've watched him cast out the demons. They've watched him calm the storm. They've seen his teaching. They know what he's going to do. They've got him in there, and they have a man that has a withered hand, and they're wanting to see if he's going to heal him that day so that they could accuse him. See, they hate him. In fact, you can't tell it right here, but what they really would like to do is to kill him. And if they could figure out some way to stop him. Because, see, they're in control right now. They're the religious leaders of Israel. They're members of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling body. And they are, have the authority. But what's happened is Jesus has started this ministry. And people are talking about Jesus of Nazareth. And people are following him. And he's claiming to be the Messiah. And this man named John, the baptizing one, pointed him out and said, He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And people are following him, and Jesus is doing miracles, and he's calling himself the Son of Man, and he's calling himself the Son of David, and he's calling himself the Son of God. And so the religious leaders are hating him, and they're afraid of him, because if he keeps going, they're going to lose their positions of responsibility. 
So they're looking saying, we got to find something we can accuse him on. Because if we can find something that he does wrong, we can kill him and get rid of him. That's what they want to do. Some have speculated that the man who came into the synagogue with the right withered hand was planted there by the religious leaders. They said, we want you to come today. We want you to be in there. We want Jesus to see you because we're going to see what he does. And if he heals on the Sabbath, we'll be able to get him. That's what they're thinking. So notice it says, the scribes and Pharisees were closely watching him, watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. Why? So that they might find reason to accuse them. Remember, if Jesus is right, and he is, they are wrong, and they are. Watch, verse 8. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. Now, he knew what they were thinking. You know, he knows everything. You remember when he forgave that man the sins? Remember he said, Your sins are forgiven, and the religious leader sitting over there thinking, Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus looked over and said, Why are you thinking that? Truth is, I am God. That's why I do forgive sin. See, he knows what they're thinking. And so they're sitting there thinking, yes. And so he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. Now, wouldn't you like to have been there? All these people, religious leaders, looking at Jesus, trying to trick him. And Jesus said, hey, come on up here. Get up and come forward. And the guy comes forward and stands in front of all the people with his withered right hand. And Jesus is going to ask a question. Notice. And Jesus said to them, verse 9, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? Now, Jesus can do anything. He could have had that man sit there and just say, your hand is well, and suddenly his hand would have been well. He didn't have to bring the man up. He didn't have to ask any questions. He didn't have to do anything. What is Jesus doing? He brings the man up, and look at the question that he asks. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on a Sabbath, to save a life or destroy it? Now, we think that's not the question he would ask. Wouldn't he just say, is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? That's what we think he would ask. But he knows what they're thinking. See, he knows that he's going to do good on the Sabbath, but they want to do evil on the Sabbath. They want to kill him. Notice, and Jesus said... To them, I ask you, here's my question. Is it lawful? Is it okay? Is it right to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to destroy it? See, he knows they want to kill him on the Sabbath. He's going to do good on the Sabbath. They want to do evil on the Sabbath. Watch what happens. They're not going to answer him. And looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. I mean, can you see this? He's looking at those people, and he's basically saying, I'm asking you a question, how come you won't answer? They won't answer because they, they know that he'll trick them again, he'll get them again, they can't answer. So they just sit in there, and he says, go ahead and stretch out your hand. The word stretch out your hand means just, just put it out. And as he did, it was restored. In fact, the Greek means it was returned to good. See, he's going to do good on the Sabbath and not evil. And so he said, stretch it out. And he stretches out. Can you imagine that man going, I got a hand. Wow. You would think the room would go, yes, this is fantastic. Right? 
Look what the religious leaders did. They themselves, but they themselves were filled with rage. You know why? Because he said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I heal on the Sabbath. I do, I do good on the Sabbath. I don't do evil on the Sabbath. It says they were filled with rage. And by the way, the Greek word for rage is a really unusual word. It means they went crazy. That's what it means. They wanted to kill him. They weren't just mad. They didn't just kind of mumble like, well, we're going to have to do something about this. They were going, we're going to kill this man. Who does he think he is? He can't do this in our synagogue and get away with it. You know, he healed all the time, right? How did they explain that? You know, people came up to him and said, well, look what he's doing. He's healing people. Must be from God. They couldn't say he's not healing people because they saw it. We'll see it later on, a couple of chapters on from now. They're going to say, well, he's healing people, but it's not from God. It's from the devil, Beelzebub. He's from Beelzebub. That's the only way they can answer it. They hate him. It says they were filled with rage. What a contrast. Jesus does good. They do evil. It says that they discussed together what they might do to Jesus. It literally says they dialogued what they could do with him. They really wanted to kill him. That's what they wanted to do. Jesus does good on the Sabbath. They want to do evil on the Sabbath. Let me ask you something. Why did God put us on this earth? To follow man-made rules and legalism? Or for our lives to touch lives for Jesus Christ? To live for Christ and to touch others? To meet needs and to show the grace of God? Look, we're not under a bunch of rules. We have the Word of God, which we live by. But we're not under a legalistic set of laws and rules. We never have been. We never will be. And we're to live for Jesus Christ, and we're to touch lives for Christ. The confrontation is just beginning. We're going to see more and more and more. We've got one more thing. We'll go through it very quickly. He's going to choose the twelve apostles. And we'll see what happens there. Look at verse 12. It was at this time that he went off to a mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Now, it was at this time, right after this event, he went off to, to it says, the mountain to pray. It didn't say a mountain. It said the mountain. They knew exactly which mountain we're talking about. I want you to understand that in the sea, at the Sea of Galilee on the northeast side, there is a long, sloping hill which we call, which nowadays we call it the place of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not a mountain like you climb this high mountain. It's a long sloping hill. This is the mountain that he's talking about because what Jesus does, he goes to the top of this long sloping hill, spends the night in prayer, comes down, picks out the twelve men, goes about halfway down to the mountain to a level place and begins to teach. And what we find in the rest of Luke chapter 6 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. In chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, you have details on the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke chapter 6, you have a big overview of the Sermon on the Mount. So look what it says. It was at that time he went off to the mountain to pray. We call it the mountain, Sermon on the Mount, that place. And he spent the whole night in prayer. You know what he's about to do? He's about to choose the men that will, he will train and that will come after him to establish the church. There are all kind of people following him. There are people who believed in him. There are all kind of disciples. But out of all these people, he's going to choose 12 men. Let me tell you, it is always important when you want to make a decision to maintain your fellowship with your Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus did. Look what happened. It says, And when day came, or when the day came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them whom he also named as apostles. He called his disciples. Can you see him coming down and saying, 
I'd like all of you to come over this way. And a bunch of people come over. A bunch of his people, all of his followers are over there. And, and he looks at him and he goes, Simon, come here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you Peter. I'm going to call you Rocky. Come on over here. Andrew, over here. James, John, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, Levi, Matthew, come here. Judas, other Judas. There's two of them. He calls these people. Can you imagine? What if you were there and and he picked you? He did pick you. He said, you're my ambassador. You're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through you. You've been picked by him to be his representative now. Wow. It says he called his disciples to him and chose... Twelve of them whom he named apostles. I want you to see something. The choosing the twelve. There's a contrast between being a disciple. That's a learner or a follower. That's what they are, disciples. And then he chose some of these disciples. He chose apostles. And that's the next word. And apostle means one sent forth with authority. We're going to see a little bit later on. The apostles are incredible because they have the authority. In fact, two different things about it. First of all, what was their ministry and responsibility? I think the next slide shows that while, while Jesus was here, what were they to do? They were to be with him. They were to preach. And they were to show authority. He sent them out with authority. There's going to be a time that they'll go out and they will be able to heal people, do things, and even demons will listen to them. And they come back to Jesus and say, this is the greatest thing we've ever gone through. Even the demons listen to us. And they're kind of prideful. And he looks at them and says, well, let me tell you, the best thing is just realize your names are written in the book of life. That's what counts. They're going to have something to do after he's gone. They will be the authority. They will be the foundation of the church. And there's another thing we'll see it next week. They will be getting new revelation. We call it the New Testament. He chooses these people. Look at verse 14. Simon, whom he also named Peter, that's Rocky, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John. And we know James and John. I'm going to go into a lot more detail next week on some of these people. But James and John, fishing partners. John wrote five books in the New Testament. Philip and Bartholomew. Now, Bartholomew's other name was Nathaniel. If you've ever looked in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, you meet a guy named Nathaniel. This is the same guy. And then notice, Matthew and Thomas. Now, Matthew is the guy named Levi that we saw last week that was the tax collector that Jesus came by and said, follow me. So, this is the same guy, Matthew, Levi. And then Thomas. And every time you hear the name Thomas, what do you say? He's called what? Doubting Thomas, right? Poor thing. Let me tell you. He, he is a great man. There was a part, of, there was a time that they were going to go to Bethany and they knew it was going to be very dangerous. And as they were leaving, Thomas said, let's go with Jesus so we might die with him. He was a brave man. We'll call it, we'll see why they called him Doubting Thomas. And there was James, the son of Alphaeus, sometimes called James the Less. And then Simon, who was called the Zealot. Now, remember what the Zealots were? They were the people who hated the Romans, and they hated for anybody that worked for the Romans. You remember what Matthew did for a living, what Levi did for a living? He was a tax collector. He worked for the Romans. So here you got Levi, who works for the Romans, and Simon, the Zealot, who hates anybody that works for the Romans. Both of them are on Jesus 12. Jesus takes two people that basically hate each other and brings them together. Notice... And then there's Judas, uh, the son of James. His other name was Thaddeus, Judas Thaddeus. And Judas Iscariot. Now the name Iscariot literally means the man of Kerath. That's a little town. And notice how he is described, who became 
a traitor. It's so amazing that nobody naming their children Judas, right? Even Judas, the son of James, when you find him in other places, he's called Judas Thaddeus. He went by Thaddeus after this. Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He chooses these men to be with him. He's going to train them to carry on after him. Eventually they will build the church. They will train and equip and all this. Let me ask you a question. This is something to think about. Who are you training to serve with you and to carry on after you? See, sometimes we don't even think that way. We think, I'm just going through life. But listen, you won't live forever. And if the Lord doesn't come back soon, there are many of us in this room who won't live a whole lot longer. Think 40 years from now, if Jesus doesn't come back, there's a bunch of us who will be gone. Who is going to be left to carry it on? Who are you equipping and training to carry on the ministry after you? To serve with you now and to carry it on? That's what Jesus did. He chose these 12. They're going to be with him. He's going to train them and equip them. And then after he leaves, he says, I'm going away. It's good that I'm going away. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And then you're going to be my instruments. And he's left us to do the same thing. And I'm going to tell you what, we have the responsibility to lead people to Christ, to train them so that they can work with us and then carry on after us. It's called discipleship. Making disciples is evangelism and training, equipping the believers to do the ministry. So here's the question. Who are you discipling? Who are you equipping and training to be with you now and to carry on after you're gone? What have we seen? Jesus confronted by religious leaders concerning the Sabbath. He says he's Lord of the Sabbath and the Sabbath was made for man. He heals a man on the Sabbath and shows that he does good, not evil. And that after a night in prayer, he chose the twelve apostles to be with him. Let me give you some applications. We'll go real fast on this. The first one is realize that Jesus Christ is the sovereign ruler and Savior. He is. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, Provider, Protector. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is everything. He rules it all and He works all things according to the counsel of His will. In this passage, He says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of everything. He rules it all. Second, let's use our lives to do good and not evil. See, Jesus said that on that Sabbath day, was it to do good or to evil? He was using it to do good. The religious leaders were going to use it to do evil. But whatever day it is of our lives, let's use our lives to do good. The Bible says in Titus that we're to do good to all men, for this is profitable. What, what can we do that's good for people? Well, we can tell them about Jesus Christ. There are so many people, and you know this, there are people that believe that if you live a good life, you'll somehow get to God. Or if you got baptized, or if you go to a church, or you give money, or you try to do more good than bad, or you live a good life, somehow that will get you to God. They don't know the truth. The best thing you could ever do is to tell them that Jesus died and rose again and gives them eternal life as a gift by faith. Help people grow. Help meet needs. We can do good. Last but not least, let's train others to be with us and to come after us. It's evangelism and training. It's making disciples. Lead people to Christ and train them so they can serve with us. And then they'll carry on after us. Because this generation will be gone. And there will have to be others to follow. And that's what we're to do. Are you training people? Second Timothy 2.2 2 says, he told, Paul said, Timothy, take the things I've taught you. You entrust this to faithful people who will be able to entrust it and teach others. That's the plan. I teach you, you teach somebody else, they teach somebody else. We just keep this thing going. 
That's what we're supposed to do. May we serve our Savior Jesus Christ, doing good as we have the time, training others to serve with us and to come after us when we're gone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for the truths. Lord, we realize that our Savior Jesus is sovereign, that He is in control of all things. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the Creator, Sustainer, Provider, Protector. He is everything. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of all things, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we want to use our lives for you. And I pray that every one of us in this room who know Jesus Christ will say, Lord, our lives, we want them to count for you. We want to live for you. We want to do good and not evil. We want to help people know the message of salvation. We want to help people grow. And Lord, we want to train others to be with us and to come after us. Lord, may we have a legacy of knowing that we're investing our lives into other people's lives so they can know the truth of Jesus Christ, so they can be trained and equipped. And then after we're gone... They can continue doing the same thing, training others as well. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.